Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Talking with Brian Garber here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Let's now shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about your dad and your grandfather because they had a tremendous influence on you. Um, when you were growing up, did your dad push you in, in any way to do stuff, or was he always like, it's just, it's got to be fun, Brian? Don't do this unless it's fun. I mean, and your grandfather, you know, he's at the pinnacle. You know, he won a world championship in basketball as the athletic trainer to the Milwaukee Bucks. Were they were, were they very, were they very good, supportive in the way of like, hey, whatever makes you happy? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the sport I chose and you look at my father, I, I don't think that those two ever really <laughs> you would ever think <laughs> that those two mixed, right? Um, when I decided that I wanted to play tennis or whatever sport that I played as a kid, I my dad was tough love for sure, but it was never one of those that you need to do this or you need to do that. It was, if you're gonna play this sport and we're gonna invest money in it, you're gonna do the best of your abilities. And that was all that was really required. Um, if I was getting out of line or I was not paying attention or I was jeopardizing tennis on the weekend or a practice for social things, and it was not it was never a, you need to stop and change that. It was more of a, hey, the guys that are beating you and the guys that are better than you, they're a little more focused in these other areas. If you want to be as good as them, commit the time to it. We're committing to you financially and things that we're spending a lot of weekends. We don't want to be at tennis tournaments. At tennis tournaments <laughs> we don't want to be stuck at, in, a, in a hotel somewhere for you know the whole weekend. For sure. And I remember I had a, a bad attitude one time in tennis on the court a couple times, uh, frustrating sport being individual. And I remember my mom and dad said, you know what, next tournament, you can find a way to get there because we're not going to come watch that kind of thing. So it was never like the, the pressure of you need to win, you need to do this. You need to, it, it was it was the you're going to be accountable. You're going to be responsible for yourself. You're going to my father was big on equipment. Your equipment's going to be ready every day. Your bag's going to be organized. It was all those little details more. I never had to be told to work hard, you know, and I think that was just from growing up and learning and seeing what my dad and my granddad did. And my mom on the other side of it in her fields of work. And, and it was, you're going to work hard and you're going to do your best. And that's all we ask of you. I never got yelled at for losing. Not one time in my life. I got yelled at if my effort was poor or my attitude was poor. Did your grandfather come watch you play? Yeah, quite a few times. I actually got lucky my freshman year in college. We played a uh, fall invitational at Marquette. So he actually got to see me play a college match, which was great. Um, he had a harder time getting around and traveling later on. So that was really awesome to get to be in Milwaukee and, and be there. And both my grandparents getting to come watch. That was, that was a pretty cool moment. Was he, was he, did you give any, did, did he have any good like nuggets of advice for you at all? Did he ever say, you know, being a grandson who's now a collegiate athlete, you know, and he's his background you know, always has fascinated me working with Oscar Robinson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and winning that championship in Milwaukee. And this year, the Milwaukee Bucks finally win a championship almost 51 years later. Um, you know, did your grandfather ever say, hey, Brian, you know, th these guys would do this or these guys would do that. Maybe you should look to do this. Or was he more supportive and just, hey, you know, just get out there and, and do your thing? I would say the biggest thing that he left on me, which is a funny one, is he was a big chip on the shoulder guy. And every time my father picked this up from him, but I'll never forget the first time he watched me play my granddad, he pointed out to me the type of cars that all the kids' parents were driving that I was playing <laughs> against at a tournament. And he said, you look at that and you remember that. He said, that ain't you. He said, you're tougher than that kid and remember it. And it was one of those. <laughs> and it was just, it was just that chip on the shoulder mentality. My dad for a while wanted me to 
carry my rackets and things in a garbage bag because I wasn't like the other kids, but I kind of adopted that mentality. And I think that's where I picked up ground on so many kids is because, and even now in coaching, I still have that chip on my shoulder that like, Hey, I was, I was never invited to this party. I kind of crashed it. Right. That's pretty cool. So your dad had played for and coached for Lou Lamarillo. Did you ever get a chance to talk to Lou about anything when you were growing up as a kid? Did he ever give you any advice as, as an athlete? It was more his son, Chris, that I spent time with, um, whether it was at Providence College hockey camp when I was a little kid or other times. I remember when I was at BC, we went to watch in Lowell. We went to see, see the Devils American League team play, and I got the Lamarillo test. He sat me down and asked all these questions that were <laughs> up in the air, and I had no idea what was going on, and I walked out, and my dad stayed in for a minute. My dad walked out and told me, you just passed the Lamarillo test. And I was like, well, that's a good thing. What does that mean? <laughs> what did he so ask I got, you? What did I he got ask grilled. You? Oh man, what was this? This had to be 2010. So it was a long time ago. All sorts of questions that were open-ended in a way, like there wasn't a definitive answer and you wanted to see how I would reply weird questions. I just remember all the questions were things that kind of had me like, I don't know, like, let me think about that for a second. <laughs> And it was, I felt like I was uh, sitting with Freud getting a <laughs> psychological test there, but it was, I, I learned I passed that test. So that was a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, your dad, you know, had been influenced tremendously by him, by Lou Lamarillo. Lou had a lot of influence. You know, he saw in your father that he could coach when he came out of school. Um, did your dad ever talk to you about, you know, working for him and, and different things and, and, and that kind of like, you know, like the coaching tree or the, or the generational thing of handing down information that he had passed on or passed on to you from Lou or other people? Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible because I, I've got to see it interpreted in two different ways where um, I got lucky enough. I went and coached college tennis at University of Alabama Huntsville while my dad and Kirk Kleinendorf were there coaching the men's hockey program. Yes. I sat in an office right next to the two of them. And I actually lived in a house with the two of them. And I look back on that year as one of the most, if not the most important years for me deciding I wanted to really become a coach. Cause at the time I, I like being a coach. It's great. It's I'm doing what I love, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't understand what it meant to become great at that. And I spent a lot of time with those two. And I saw the way that they interpreted lose things in complete different ways but with the same value system where Kurt was a more laid back guy, but was very particular about his things. And my dad was more of the hard nosed guy and watching the two of them balance, but both with the same principles. And I took a message from Kurt that I kept that he took from Lou forever. It was treat everybody fairly, but not equally. And that was something that I took from those guys. And I didn't understand it fully at the time because in my brain as a 24 year old kid, it was, you treat everybody equally. And it's like, mm, there's a kid with more ambition and a kid who's willing to put in the hard work that you're going to spend a little more time with than the kid who's, who's there for the practice hours. Right. And, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. You're treating them fairly both, but one guy is getting a little bit more than the other. And that was a big thing I learned from those guys. It's, it's all on the lines of that person wants to put in the effort and be better. So I'm going to go and I'm going to work with him or her because they want to be better. But this person over here might have all the talent in the world but yep. doesn't put that effort in. So why am I going to treat this person equal over, over a person who's, who's working hard? That's really what it comes down to. It does. And, and little things like um, 
it's funny. I have the beard going right now. If my father saw me, he'd pull yes, the Lamarillo the on the me. Ra- the ra- would, throw a razor at you, right? <laughs> hand me a dollar bill and tell me to go buy a razor. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget. This is a funny one going to hockey as a kid. When the thrashers were in Atlanta, they were playing the devils. And my dad and I went up, that was another time with Lou. And we went up and got to sit in the box with Lou and my dad had a goatee at the time. And I watched yes. that happen to my father, who was a grown man. <laughs> I watched a dollar bill be handed to him and say, here, go buy yourself a razor. And I remember seeing that and I was like, and my dad just put his head down. I was like, man, the guy still owns him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, I, I, I had the pleasure of, of producing, uh, working on the production of the game for the Devils for years. And, and Lou had a media team for us. And I remember him pulling me aside one day in the hallway saying, I'm going to rely on you, Randy Valashek and Chico and a couple other guys to pick up the slack if we're losing in this game. He goes, but we're not going to lose in this game. You understand? We're going to win. And it was the, the, the I knew where he was coming from. You know what I mean? And other guys on the team that didn't have the Lamarillo experience going to hockey camp for all those years were like, What's he talking about? I said, <laughs> I, I, I said, you don't, you have to have gone through it to understand there's only For two sure. things. In, there's only two things in Lou's life, winning and misery. And that's it. That's and right. He, and he doesn't want to lose. And he wants to be able to put this, you know, he wants to beat Neil Smith and the Rangers media team. And, and the way he did it was there was a whole system in place. And that's the way he did it. And we were very successful under him. And, and that's what I remember your dad telling me that story of him going to Atlanta and that, and I had the same thing happen to me in the hallway one time, another time I didn't have a tie on and I had, a, I had a, a suit and, and Lou just looked at me and he said to me, he goes, do you want a tie from inside? Cause he goes, you can't walk around the building like that. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, and, you, and you're kind oh, of like, Oh, it's, it's very funny, but it, there's, there's a system in place. And, it, and, it and, 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 and it's interesting, like your father and I have talked about it, and, and I think he's passed it on to you. There are certain tendencies, there are certain things you do in order to be successful. And oh. if you do these things, you will have success. It may not come today, it may not come tomorrow, but you're building that process to be successful. And very few people ever really understand that process. And, and with Lou, that's what he does. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I had never met a single person in my sport who was that way. And I spent some time with Yvonne Lendl at a coaching forum with all the U S national coaches. And I said, wow, that's the first guy I've ever met who reminded me of that. And it's funny because Lendl's a big hockey guy. Yes. And, and he and I sat down and talked for a long time. And, and I learned so much for him because everything that he was teaching me was just reaffirmation of things I learned from hockey from my father through Lou, right? So it was, there's, there's one guy out there in my sport that's like that, and it's worked out pretty well for him. So I said, okay, this is a path that I can follow as well. What did you learn from him in that talk? Let's go there for a minute. I mean, that's kind of interesting. That, that's, a, that's a noted guy. He's very successful in the, in, in the tennis world. Um, he did have to overcome a lot of things to win, but he, he was very focused on what he had to do. What'd you take away that first meeting with him? So one thing that we talked about a lot is, is preparation was everything for him. And preparation was so many more things than what people think of as preparation, where before tournaments, before this he was working with Andy Murray, who was three in the world, but had never beaten the big guys at the majors. And they needed to win seven matches to get there. And he said he used the whole two weeks to prepare for one of those guys in the final. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're working towards that. 
The other thing we talked about in my sport, there's something we, a lot of coaches use, they call shot selection, which is what you receive, what choice you make to go back. But I, I had a conversation with him. I said, I hate that word because I don't think that there is a selection. I think what you receive determines what you give back pending the person. And we had a great talk about that where if you become efficient in every shot on the court and know what's yours and what isn't, there's never a selection to be made. You've already prepared yourself. There's no thinking involved. I receive a ball here. This is where that ball goes. I receive this. This is where that ball goes. So we had a preparation in a sense of all encompassing, like uh, everything about his day was preparing for tournaments. And that was the smallest detail to the biggest. What time am I practicing today? Why would I practice at eight in the morning when, when I go play a tournament? The earliest I'll ever play is 11 in you, right? And you run into that all the time. You have people practicing eight in the morning and a pro player is never going to hit a ball before 9.30 ever. So it's like all those little small details of like, what's the purpose of why you're doing that? Does that prepare them better for the tournament or not? And, and nailing that down and basically making your whole structure of why you're doing something preparation for what you're going to do. Because a lot of times we get lost in my sport and we practice to practice. We don't practice for purpose, right? And he... He was a big guy on purpose and preparation and those two things. It was almost like a light went off and I said, okay, I'm not wrong in these areas because that's how I felt about it. But I needed somebody in the sport who had the success that he had coaching and playing to give me that back. So I was like, okay, I'm on the right path. It was almost like a reaffirmation of my beliefs more than anything. And with some better details in there that I hadn't, hadn't learned yet. Do you still keep in touch with him and talk about those things? Uh, do you discuss that with him from time to time? You know, if I see him, we always chat. Um, we, we don't have a phone connection like that. He's a busy guy. Um, he's actually got a daughter in Alabama and he's golf. And oh, wow. so now he gets to see a complete different individual sport. And we talked about the differences in those. And that's even funny where you think golf and tennis, a lot of similarities and it's incredibly different. And so we bounced ideas. I, I wish, and the next time I see him, we're going to do a number exchange and make sure we do. Because I, I hope he enjoyed talking to me because I really got a lot out of talking to him. For an elite guy like that, you know, and you see the success he had over the years and the way he now, how does he pass that on to the next group he's coaching? You know, sometimes elite players don't make really good coaches. You know, they, they, they struggle because everything came easy for them. And, and, and the way they saw the sport was different. But how does he able to take what he was able to do and transform that and, and pass that on to his, his people he has, or the young players he has? I think it goes back to the preparation thing. He was also one of those guys that it took longer for him to get to the top than the others. I think he had to struggle a lot more than the other guys and kind of found what worked for him perfectly, which was what we were talking about, being more prepared than any guy out there. So I think just that knowledge alone, passing along to other players, younger, top five, those guys, that a lot of guys make it on just talent in my sport. And then they get there and they kind of plateau and they can't go anymore. And when he grabbed Andy Murray, that's kind of what happened. And then all of a sudden, Andy Murray starts chugging and chugging and chugging because he learned how to prepare himself properly for what he needed to do. Um, and you're right about that. There's countless examples in my sport of players who are phenomenal that go into the coaching role and fail miserably because like you said they can't they can't level with a player on why they struggle in certain things and I've spent a lot of time with multi-grand slam champions who 
It was like, why do you feel pressure in that moment? Because it's a human reaction. Maybe you didn't, and that's why you won so many grand slams, but we're trying yeah. to help this player with this problem. And they have a hard time leveling and understanding. And, and I think that goes in most sports, right? Like if you look at a Bill Belichick or you look at like somebody I, I look at, John Cooper, somebody who didn't play the sport at a high level, but had to go through so much more to learn the game inside and out to be able to get to where they are. It's, um, I find those to a lot of times be the best coaches, but there's always guys like Lendl who had to really work for what they got. And those ones tend to be okay. Your dad talked about Chris Everett to me a little bit and you had some involvement, I think with her, what was it like to talk to somebody like that who was a champion from an early age on? You, you realize how different they are made up mentally. And I say that like, couldn't be more different mentally from the regular person, just like a, Everything she did in a day when I worked at her academy was competitive. Well, that academy's girl made a final wet in those, right? And it was like every ounce of everything. And she would, she would even come talk to some of the girls I was working with from time to time. And it'd be like, and that's one of the ones I was saying, why do you feel pressure? It's like, because they do. <laughs> yeah. And she was, she was, I don't understand pressure because it didn't exist for me. I, I knew I put in the hours and I had worked. And I knew I had an edge over the person I was playing. So why would I feel pressure? And I said, well, that's kind of the place we're trying to get all these players to. And she had a very tough father and a full family of tennis players that her dad was tough on her, but in a good way. And, and I think from an early age, there were no excuses allowed from her. And I think we're in a world nowadays where the support systems around people, that's all they do is make excuses for them. And, and that was a time when that didn't exist. It was, you're good enough or you're not, you didn't work hard, you're not going to go on, right? And, and nowadays it's, it's okay because they're having this or they have this. And, and she's kind of one of those old school ones where like, you shut up and you do it, right? And, and I think the simplicity in her messages sometimes is brilliant. Jennifer Capriotti. Let's, I want to use her as an example here. She was an amazing tennis player, came up young, could handle mental pressure, could handle physical pressure, could do it all. What happened, you know, from a coaching well, perspective? I mean, when you, when you look at that as a case study, that seems to be a story of a lot of different kids that come up all of a sudden. They're like flashes of brilliance, and then they're gone. So if you, if you pay attention to specifically more the women's side than the men's over the last 20 years, we've had a lot of examples similar, not to that extent, but close. Um, where we've had a lot of girls have success at a young age with the parent type coach where they're the parents in charge of almost all aspects of their life. And what ends up happening is those kids get some success. They get a little bit of money and they start to realize there's things away from the tennis world that they were never exposed to. Things tend to go off the deep end there. And a lot of them grab it and get that career back at 26, 27. And she kind of did, but still had those demons from it. And that goes back to what we we're talking about, about having well-rounded kids. I think when you do that protecting them kind of thing, parents haven't learned from it. That's, that's one thing I'll say. Parents haven't learned from it. And I, I worry a little bit about a couple of these young ones having success now that I, I hope that path isn't there for them. I hope the support system is making the right decisions for them. But a lot of times these parents have a hard time giving up that control of their kids when they get to the age where they start to think for themselves. And I think that was one of the things that happened with Jennifer. Um, and I think giving a 20-year-old the keys to the world is tough. That was segment four with Brian Garber here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. 
Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR.